Breakfast Special. This is the beginning of what will become a massive urban redevelopment program. So far, the Housing Board has been building on vacant land outside the old city. Queenstown, Tiong Bahru, Bukit Ho Swee, Macpherson Road, and other places. But now, we feel reasonably confident that we have got the housing problem under control. We have broken the back of the housing problem and we are therefore in a position to undertake a more ambitious project. Urban redevelopment. To knock down the old decrepit houses in the centre of the city and build a new. That was Singapore's first Prime Minister, Mr Lee Kuan Yew, talking about the progress of Singapore's housing and plans back in 1964. Housing a nation, that was one of the most urgent agenda items of the late Mr Lee in the 1960s, when Singaporeans lived in poor housing conditions, in crowded squatter settlements or slums with poor sanitation. Understanding the impact on the population, Mr. Lee championed public home ownership to turn squatters into stakeholders to give every Singaporean a stake in the country. Housing Development Board or HDB Estates on Hotlands also brought together people of different backgrounds and created a sense of community. In today's urban setting, HDB housing blends functionality with striking aesthetic, enhancing the visual appeal of Singapore's cityscape. Welcome to this breakfast special with me, Ryan Huang. To reflect on the past, examine the present, and look ahead to the future of our HDB housing, we are privileged to have with us the architect of modern Singapore, Dr. Liu Taika, founding chairman of Moro. Welcome, Dr. Liu. Thank you. All right, great having you here. Now, Dr. Liu, HDB estates have played a pivotal role in Singapore's urban development, and you've worked with the late Mr. Lee Kuan Yew. Could you share some of your most memorable moments or accomplishments in transforming Singapore from slums to a garden city? Well, first of all, let me describe what Singapore was like. In 1960, when the British left us, out of our 1.7 million people, about three out of four people live in squatters and slum. That was how horrible the condition was. But uh, because of good government policy and uh, good government legal support and also the government's uh, ability to earn the support of the citizens plus of course careful planning and design by 1985 we actually got rid of water squatters that is uh, I would say no city in the world today can claim that they have no homeless but we achieved that in 1985. And uh, that's because of good policy plus good planning. And I'm saying this not so much to boast about our achievement, but also to tell other cities that if you have good policy and good planning, you can also achieve housing everybody in your city. And Mr. Lin Kuan Yew, of course, his achievement is multifaceted. But uh, 
he also put a lot of attention on public housing. Although uh, the slogan everybody knows, remember today is housing the nation. But actually, there's another very important slogan in the early days, which we must remember. It's called breaking the backbone of housing shortage, because in those days our contractors did not have high capacity, and of course our government was poor. People also were quite poor to pay for the rent of public housing. So how to break the backbone of housing shortage was a huge challenge. It's only after we managed to do that, and then we changed the slogan to "Housing the Nation." And all of us in HDB took the slogan "Breaking the Backbone of Housing Shortage" that seriously. All of us, I can vouch, every one of us were trying our best to do our best work and collaborated as closely as we could to achieve this goal. All right, we're in conversation with Dr. Liu Taiker. He is the founding chairman of Moro. He is also known as the architect of modern Singapore. Uh, Dr. Liu, from those times when we had slums, we've come a long way. So let's talk about the present. As a seasoned architect and planner, how do you perceive the current state of urban housing and design, particularly in the context of HDB housing in terms of trends or challenges we are facing right now? Well, I can only speak from my understanding through reading newspaper because after I left the government for 31 years, I do not have a professional conversation with people in HCB or URA. So I can only talk about it as a news reader. I feel that one big issue, of course, everybody is worried about today is the high resale value of HCB flats. And this is also something that I had to be concerned with because when we started the policy of selling in 1964, in 64 the government decided we should build to sell to give people a sense of ownership, but also help them to look after their properties more carefully. And I think until today, we are probably one of the very few cities in the world that. Build public housing to sell. Most of them are still building to rent, so we have to sell at an affordable price. But at the same time, our government also wanted people to feel that the property, the HDB flat that they own, is an appreciating asset. But we don't want it to appreciate in a in a wild manner. And therefore, while people see me as a planner and an architect. Actually, when I was in HDB, every two weeks I sat down with my estate officers to monitor the supply and demand of public housing to make sure that our supply was just slightly above demand. Too much above demand is no good either. But if the supply is below the demand, it's certainly causing the resale value to shoot up to the sky. So every two weeks. I spend time to monitor the supply and demand of public housing, and therefore, if you look at the record, the resale value of the HDB flats during my time between '69 and '89, when I was in HDB, the rise was very gentle, but the resale value continued to rise, nevertheless, but gently. Any kind of HDB resale value. 
rising would certainly push the private housing rising. So we didn't want the private housing to rise too fast and therefore monitor the resale value, the rise of resale very, very carefully. We don't want it to dip, but neither do we want to rise too fast. Now, Dr. Lee, you talk about rising asset values. Uh, what do you make of what we've been seeing in recent years? Your thoughts on the trend of shrinking HDB flat sizes and also the rising number of million-dollar HDB flats? Well, you see, despite the fact that we were extremely poor, I mentioned a bit, we were poorer than Yangon, Ho Chi Minh City and Manila. But when I came back to Singapore in 1969, I had lived in the West, in Australia and USA for 13 years. And I was very envious of their good quality of life in those days. So in HGV, I actually worked together with my colleagues to find out what kind of floor space per person in USA. And uh, I tried to set our HGV flat floor space per person to be quite close to USA. And that's how we determine on the floor areas of one, two, three, four, five room flats. That's how we determine. Because I told myself that we should not really improve the quality of housing step by step. You know, if you improve the housing from a third world to second world, and after you become a first world, you have to tear down the second world, third world. That was very wasteful. So I wanted our building to really go up to the floor area to go up to first world. First world. At the same time, to make sure that we don't have to tear down the HGB flat, I asked the engineer that they must design our buildings to last for forever. And they did a damn good job so that we don't have to kind of build and pull down, build and pull down. We didn't want to do that. And I would say that that goal is certainly during my time was achieved. Yeah, yeah looking at some of the older flats, uh, that's a testament. And therefore, I'm a little bit sad that despite the fact that Singaporeans are becoming richer. In fact, our per capita GDP equal to USA as far back as 2010. And yet, our floor area has to reduce. That, to me, is quite unfortunate. Yeah, when you take that into account, um, and also rising prices, and also long BTO queues, in your opinion, do you think we've drifted a bit away from the original mission of providing an affordable and functional roof over everyone's head and owning a stake in the country? I would say for public housing, I think affordability is most important. But at the same time, because we built in bulk during the HGB time, we did a lot of bulk. We actually made use of the economy of scale by bulk purchasing building materials, cement, granite, steel bars and so on, and we sold to the contractor at cost and so they could get the materials more cheaply and uh, I also introduced a modular coordination to standardize the dimensions of the building so that it's easier for contractor to build. I think all these things did contribute to keeping the cost low and of course uh, constant monitoring of supply and demand means that our Building volume per year, the number of flats we built, if you look back during my time, or did not just go up and down, it just rise and uh, basically rise 
very gradually, very steadily, because if it rises too fast, it actually creates a jump in the construction costs. If you drop too fast, it actually creates unemployment. This is not something I just happened to think about. We discussed those issues during my time. Yeah, so I'm just wondering,、uh, looking at what we have right now, the current issues and challenges that the younger generation is facing. What do you think are some of the innovative solutions and strategies that will fit today's context to help them afford comfortable-sized homes to start their families? I actually, as a planner and architect, I don't like to use the word innovation. Yeah, because、uh, if you say Newton's、uh, theory of gravity.、Mm-hmm. You say, okay, that's a long time ago. What is the new innovative concept of gravity? You can't say that gravity is gravity. So if you can find the right solutions for building new towns, the kind of right amount of amenities you must have, you can find the kind of best layout for your HDB flats. I would say not absolute, but nearly as permanent as Newton's gravity. Of course,、uh, gravity is,、uh, I said, is God made, and therefore is perfect.、Uh, my HDB planning and design is human, and of course it can be to have flaws, but it doesn't mean that you just keep innovating. If there are flaws, you make adjustment to the flaws. Because if you think about innovation all the time, just like if you think that you want to innovate Newton's gravity, you are asking for trouble. And this is part of the reason I'm very concerned about today's world trend on urban planning. I feel that we must look at the scientific justification. But by scientific justification, I don't mean architectural design, engineering design alone. I'm talking about also sociology. In fact, during my time, I had nine sociologists with PhD degree to advise me. So it does sound like maybe it's time to relook some of the stuff that worked before, and maybe see if they fit in today's context. Nowadays, the word innovation becomes the key word for planners and architects. And when you have to innovate, you have to chuck away the past experience. And I'm very concerned that this kind of trend is really not good for urban planning or public housing, not just for Singapore. Anywhere in the world, the trend is worldwide. Actually,、mm, that's an interesting perspective. Now, Dr. Liu, let's take a look at the future. What are the most critical considerations for the future of urban planning? How can cities around the world learn from Singapore's experiences in creating beautiful and functional public housing? Well, beautiful functional public housing is not just a flat; it's the new town planning. In fact,、uh, the word "new town" came from the West. But when I first came back to HCB, I asked everyone. I said, "What is a new town? What's the definition?" Nobody could tell me, and therefore. My first job in HGB was the head of design research unit, so I did the research on that. It's not just research from books. Besides the book, it was research by talking to people,、uh, to MPs, to the、uh, shopkeepers, to the academics, and so on. That's how I gave the definition for new town. And the other thing is that the slogan in the West was to build highly self-sufficient new town. So I asked myself, what is highly self-sufficient? Then we、we'll、do the research, also with the help of、uh, sociologists and so on. 
In fact, I, I like to think that although the word highly self-sufficient new town came from the West, I think you can only find that in Singapore because I did the research. It's not just research of words. It's a research with specification, with numbers and so on. Okay, for example, how big should a HGB town centre be in relation to population? I've got a formula. And inside the town centre, what are the mixtures? I also have a specification for that. And then how big should the neighbourhood centre be? And so on. All this tiny little bit of specification I have already put in a document. I'm sure HGB current people want to find it. It must be somewhere in their archives. So this kind of, I would say, experience, because when people come to HCB Newtown, all they see is hardware. Mm. So there's, oh, then they look at how it's a hardware design and so on. But behind that, there's a lot of software thinking. And just to emphasize the importance of software, in the new town that I plan, I plan 20 of the current 24 new towns. In the new town that I plan, the land use in the new town how many percent of the land you think is used for public housing? Okay, I would say when I ask people, they'll say, oh, maybe 60, 70 percent. No, it's 45 percent. Why? Because I need the other 55 percent for roads, for town centre, neighbourhood centre, for parks, for schools, for medical services, etc., etc. So it is a truly a highly self-sufficient new town. So I would say, don't just come to Singapore and look at the appearance and say, oh, how can I copy the appearance? There's a lot of thinking, hard work, specification, scientific basis behind all the physical environment you can see. I suppose you could also say it comes back down to proportions, uh, ratios of how many services fit how many residents and also how it fits the local context in terms of uh, their needs as well. Yeah, actually I often tell people that urban planning is about chemistry because if you have the right mix of the land uses, you create a kind of happy environment. Just like if you want to make water, you must have H and O. You cannot have H and C. You must have H2 and O, not H3 and O1 or H and O2. You can't. So you must know what the elements you must know the proportion. So good urban planning is chemistry. And also the environment to make it conducive for it to come together. Yeah. All right, in conclusion, let's get a take on your vision for the future of public housing in Singapore. What advice do you give to the next generation of urban planners and architects who aspire to make a positive impact on their communities through design? No, I don't want to use the word advice because in 31 years, since I left the government, not once I had a serious professional exchange with them. So I don't want to give the advice. I just want to say that looking at the current challenges in our urban planning and public housing, in particular rising prices, I would still go back to my, as a kind of a stubborn old man, I would go back to my old proposal is really Singapore must plan for 10 million. Okay, because if you plan for 10 million now and you decide where you allocate the public housing and within public housing you decide how to make the communities highly self-sufficient, you decide how you connect 
the new housing area with MRT and uh, expressways. If you can get all these things done, you continue to create, continue to keep Singapore a good city that people around the world love. And at the same time, you can then have a much smoother programming for public housing to maintain supplies slightly over demand. If we could do that, I think the 10 million plan is actually can bring a lot of this benefit. But at the same time, I want to let the Singaporeans know that because when I planned the, the 1991 concept plan, being a typical Singaporean, I have also the virtue of being a Gyasu man. And therefore, I left quite a bit of unbuilt space in Singapore, quite a bit. So my 10 million proposal means that you build the additional buildings in the 10 million, but definitely with a higher density, without taking away our existing forests, existing ponds, rivers, existing land, uh, landed properties, or existing historical buildings. So as part of my 10 million proposal is also to protect all the things that we value in Singapore and don't destroy them. All right, that's a great overview of the past, the present, and the future of HDB housing. We've been chatting with Dr. Liu Taika. He's the founding chairman of Moro. He's also known as the architect of modern Singapore. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Liu, for taking us on this journey. Thank you very much. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.